Well, you can have a seat. Uh, and good morning. My name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here for our Anderson College ministry. And man, if you're new here, I would just love to welcome you uh, here to Grace. Uh, we are so excited that you've joined us. Today is going to be very different uh, from a normal Sunday, but I think it's going to be really, really good. I think it's going to be really, really helpful. Uh, and I think uh, if you want to continue to have, if you have questions for us, or I mean, if, you, if you're new, uh, even though this is different, we would love for you to come back and experience something maybe a little bit more normal next week. But even this week, uh, we would love to have a conversation with you. We'd love to meet you. Uh, if you want, at the end of this service, at the back of the room, uh, we would love to connect with you at our information table where we would just love to hand you a gift and have a conversation about how we can help you find your place here at Grace. And if you have any uh, questions of midweek or throughout the week or later today for us about our ministry, about anything that's going on, you want to set up an appointment with someone on staff, then you can always reach out to us. Every single one of you can always reach out to us uh, through this number that we've set up that you can just send a text to. Don't call it. People try to call it and it doesn't work. And so I'm sorry if that's you and you're like, that was me. Like that's, I'm sorry. It just doesn't, like we literally have, it's through a computer thing. So like there's no way to answer that call. So don't call us, text us. Uh, and we can respond to that text. We will see that text. We'd love to respond to that text. We'd love to connect with you. Save this number in your phone, Grace College or something like that. I don't know. Save it as Jacob's secret computer number. I don't know. That's, I don't know. Actually, don't do that. That'd be weird. Um, but anyway, we, uh, we would love to talk with you more uh, because we know that basically we've, we've entered into this series, started last week, this four-week series uh, about human sexuality that we know brings up a lot more questions, right? So it's, it's a large topic uh, that we think is significant, it's worth talking about because God designed us as holistic beings who have, uh, you know, a physical, an emotional, a spiritual nature. Like we have all these different aspects of who we are, and we know that God did that purposefully and intentionally. And so we want to talk about our sexual nature. We want to talk about this side of what it means to be human, of what it means to be made in the image of God. And when we walk through this series, we know it's going to bring up questions and concerns. We know it's going to bring up maybe even old wounds and baggage. I mean, we would love to help you navigate those waters, and we would love to follow through with you in conversations beyond Sundays, right? We're going to spend 30, 40 minutes this morning talking about some of the distortions we find in our sexuality, but Man, we know we can't cover all of that in 30, 40 minutes. And so we have a few simple encouragements for you. Uh, one is to, again, reach out to us, right? Send us a text, send us an email if you want to keep the conversation going. Another thing is, man, we would encourage you to spend time in God's Word about this topic, covering this topic. Allow the Lord to speak to you individually on your own time outside of Sunday mornings. And to help you in that, uh, we put together and launched uh, reading plan through the YouVersion Bible app uh, last week. We launched it out. Uh, a, a lot of you have already subscribed to it, but for those of you that haven't, just so you know, I mean, if you have a, a Bible app on your phone, it's probably this one, and it, they have all these baked-in reading plans and devotionals that you can subscribe to through the phone, uh, through the app, super helpful. It's what I use on a daily basis as just sort of my reminder to get into the Word. And so, man, I would encourage you to go in there. You can look up a plan. If you search under plans and you search for sex, we're the top hit. And I was like, oh yeah, go Grace, right? Top sex plan in the country. Like, that's what we, that's where we're at. And so, if you go through the app and use that, I mean, I, I strongly recommend it. We put a lot of thought and energy into it, and we think it to be a really useful resource for you as you continue to engage with this topic and hopefully immerse yourself in the Word of God. But again, we know that there's still going to be questions and concerns that are going to come up, and so I, you can always send us a text to that number. You can also just email me directly, or Allison Ledette, she's our women's coordinator, who's going to be up here uh, later this morning. I mean, we would love to talk with you. We'd love to follow up with you. A bunch of you emailed me last week, and that's awesome. I love that. I, I want to start those conversations. Uh, I want to kind of help point you towards uh, whatever you might need, whether it's community, maybe it's counseling, maybe it's uh, a resource, a book to read, a, a, just a one simple conversation to have. I don't know, uh, but we would love to connect with you because we know that this topic, I mean, it's, it's, it's complex. Talking about sexuality is really difficult because we live in a society that is just changing constantly. And the further, like, the more and more that we're online, the more and more that we've been digitized, man, it's just changing everything about our lives, including our sexuality. Uh, it leads us uh, 
to, you know, see changes in our local culture uh, that we got to hear from you with a couple weeks ago. You, a lot of you were really great and, and helpful in giving us some honest and anonymous feedback on different questions related to this topic. And you showed me just one of the dramatic shifts in our local culture that for the first time, we've asked this question before in years past, but for the first time ever, a minority, less than half of you chose Super Bowl when given the option between it, World Cup, World Series, and Netflix. And let me just say, like 32% of you wanted to switch back to Netflix. You have my heart. You are, we are, we are alongside of one another. You are my brothers and my true brothers and sisters. So just, I just want you to know that. Um, Man, and the reality is that, I mean, this is something that we wouldn't have filled out. Like, this, this graph would not have looked like this 20, 30 years ago, right? There was no Netflix. I don't, was there baseball 20 years ago? I don't think there was. Like, there's, there were so many things that were different about our world that this graph wouldn't even exist. 20 years ago. And so to step into today, we need to recognize, man, our culture is constantly changing and technology is a large part of that. That's why when we asked you guys if you had viewed pornography just during your time in college, right? So for some of you, that's within the last year because you're freshmen, some of you are seniors, maybe it's the last four years. But if you viewed any pornography during your time in college, it was a 50-50 split, perfect 50-50 split. And I'll tell you, this would not have been true 20, 30, 40 years ago. Why? Because, man, the access to, to this type of content just simply was not at what it is now. And so, man, our world is changing. And this is below the national average. You guys actually surprised me with this one. Um, but, but the reality is that this is an ever-increasing issue and, and element that's infecting our society, and our relationships, and our communities. And I say infecting, and that's a strong word, right? That's a negative, there's a negative connotation to that, uh, because I believe that, that God's word is very clear and adamant in condemning the motivations and the means behind producing and consuming pornography. I think the scripture is incredibly clear. And, and I, I think it's not just God saying that because he wants to be a buzzkill. I, th- I think God's saying that because he knows that ultimately it's harmful for us. It's not just outside of his will because he decided that. It's outside of his will because it's ultimately harmful for us. And a lot of us are kind of already recognizing that. An overwhelming majority of this room, of us, said that, yeah, viewing or producing pornography, it's going to be harmful. About 94% or 96% said it was harmful for at least one or both parties, whether it was the creator or the producer or the, the consumer or the creator. Uh, you know, large number recognizing, you know, I think it's probably harmful for both. And so I, I know that I don't really have to convince most of us of the fact that pornography is harmful. I, I'm hoping that some of us will be convinced of that uh, by the end of this morning, uh, because what I want to do is I want to do something really different this morning and that we're not just looking at what God says about this, this issue. We're also going to look beyond Scripture into the tools that God has equipped us with uh, through science and psychology and, and the study of, of the mind and, and relationships, sociology. And, and this morning, we're, we're going to be really digging into, I mean, what are the actual uh, studies and statistics? What's the research look like in, in terms of the effects that pornography has on the human mind, heart, and relationships? Right? Because I, I think ultimately uh, what's interesting about our current culture is that we are shifting away from just taking God's word. You would think that you know, God saying that something was wrong for us would be enough. Right? Ideally, that would be true. Ideally, that would have been enough for Adam and Eve in the garden, right? for God to just say, like, hey, uh, you shouldn't eat from this tree. You would think that would be the best reasoning ever. And yet it's so easy for us, just like it was for Adam and Eve in creation, it's easy for us to just dismiss that. And so I want us to remember, yeah, God is, God is calling us away from this distortion of sexuality, but it's not just him, right? There, there are other logical reasons why he has this desire and direction for our life, right? And I know that right now is a really great time to talk about it because for me personally, you know, college was the time where my struggle with pornography was just amplified. It was taken to an, another level, because I stepped into an environment where all of a sudden 
I had an incredible increase in access to pornographic material, and I had an incredible decrease in accountability of people who knew what I was doing, where I was, what was going on in my life. I stepped out of a home that, like, we had dial-up internet, man. It was rough, and the, but that's just, like, what existed back then. It was like that and the telegraph and those, those things where you just spin a wheel and there's pictures that rotate, and you're like, that's a movie, right? But we, that's all we had. And that's where, that's where I grew up in. And so when I stepped into college, suddenly I walked into a dorm, I walked into Dunn Hall, Dirty Dunn, and I had high-speed internet. And, and I had a, a roommate who was gone all the time. And we just, suddenly I found myself in an environment where my access to pornography went way up. My accountability about, you know, who cared about me, like staying away from that, guarding me from that went way down. And my struggle just amplified. So, I mean, I know that a lot of us are in that similar situation where we're struggling. Or maybe we have a friend who was really struggling And so my hope is that as we walk through this morning, that we would be more equipped, not necessarily just in knowing like what's harmful about it, but also how do we pursue healing? What's the hope in it? And it's not just for us, right? I think it's also going to be for the people that we interact with because we're stepping into an environment, we're stepping into a society where maybe we personally think, yeah, you know, pornography is harmful. But we're walking into a society that has generally speaking normalized it. And, and wants to condemn your view or dismiss your view as outdated or old-fashioned or puritanical, when that's simply not the case, when there's actually very relevant, non-religious research that is connecting pornography to horrendous side effects and fallout in our lives. All right, so to help us kind of understand that, I've asked my good friend, Charlie Hall, to join us this morning. Uh, Charlie is a licensed professional counselor. He's practiced for about eight years. Uh, he worked primarily with teens and young adults, and he's super awesome, and his wife is here, and he has a two-month-old baby here, and also two other girls that are somewhere oh, across the street. Okay, good. Do we know that, Shelby? Is that verified? Okay, it is. Okay, she nodded. Okay, we know where they are. Don't worry. We know where their children are. All right, so Charlie's here. He's going to join us on stage, and we really appreciate him being here, and we're going to show him that with our hands. And essentially, uh, Charlie and I, you know, spoiler alert, we've actually talked before this, and so we have a little bit of a battle plan. Uh, And I want to let you know, uh, Charlie has incredible insight into essentially three key things. Okay, this is how we kind of broke it down. Uh, Charlie's going to kind of share his professional insight on uh, how pornography changes kind of our mental state, how it changes our heads, the physiology even of our brains, uh, how it can change our hearts, our emotions, and our relationships. Um, But then ultimately, Charlie has really great advice, this recommended path um, towards hope, right, towards recovery and healing for anyone that's caught in this sort of self-destructive addiction, okay? So uh, Charlie's here. He's really great. And I... uh, thought it was interesting, though. One of the things that came up when we were first talking uh, was that, you know, in the church world, like in Christian circles, we throw out the term like pornography addiction or porn addiction and stuff like that all the time. And I never really thought about it um, until we were talking when I was like, well, is that like actually a thing? Like, because I don't really hear that in the broader culture. Um, Generally, you don't hear like porn connected to addiction. So I was kind of, one of the first things that we talked about was uh, and that you can speak into is, I mean, what's the actual psychology behind us talking about pornography um, like as an addiction? Sure. Um, thanks for the intro. I know where my children are. That's great. Yeah, um, so, um, yeah, to answer that, we kind of need to understand a little bit more context of addiction as viewed by um, the psychological community. So in the last decade, there's been a shift um, when thinking about what a addiction is that has gone a less focus of a substance that's been put into our body and more to the reaction that occurs in the brain um, instead of what's been known. And so there's there's a there's a thing called the uh, there's diagnostic manual that any mental health professional uses called the DSM. And when it went from version four to five in 2013, there's a really big shift that that occurred there. Um, it was the first time they added a ca- under the category of substance-related and addictive disorders, they added a subcategory that was non-substance-related addictions um, or disorders. So the interesting thing, though, is there was only one that was added. It was gambling. Um, That was the one that had a 
lot of the research around, easy to study, um, could tell um, what was going on there when that was happening. Um, and so although a lot of people would say, well, sexual sex addiction is not uh, specifically recognized within the DSM, uh, it kind of chalks up to just there's a lot of insufficient research right now at this time um, for that to, to happen. But there's lots of people that would make arguments of, of that as well as other things in addition to gambling that could be classified there. Uh, it could be compulsive eating, compulsive buying, internet, social media, gaming, um, a lot of research around those things. Uh, but obviously, um, sexual addiction, uh, uh, for sure. And so, uh, in, in my experience, what I've seen counseling, um, there's, there's a lot that seems to say, okay, even though these, this is how we defined it from a specific substance, there's a lot with these behavioral addictions as they're known now, um, that, that do line up in a similar fashion. Um, and, and, and although it's not officially in there, uh, the, the research seems to be stacking up pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was when we were talking about that originally, man. That's I just, that's so fascinating to me that we that we had gone this long, just kind of assuming that for something to be addictive, it had to be like a oh, you know, substance that I have to like consume uh, versus like a behavior. So I love that you talked about how there's that shift where the criteria is more connected with whatever the reaction is versus like whatever the you know intake thing is. Uh, so like what. It, you know, the, it's, it's addictive if you see these certain reactions in the brain. And so uh, I would love for you to speak into a little bit of, okay, so if that class, so if the classification, um, hey, Charlie, uh, if the classification is based on this reaction in the brain, uh, can you explain a little bit about what is like the actual physiological reaction created in our brains through like pornography consumption or addiction mm. so the, the first thing is our, our brain has plasticity which in other words it can be physically changed molded over time uh, that's the the context here and so what we see happen in the process is uh, an enjoyable behavior uh, has a direct connection with the reward center of the brain. And when that happens and it gets triggered, the brain gets flooded with dopamine. That's the chemical that gives that high. And that is the same reaction we see with substance abuse. So if somebody takes something, the dopamine triggers, uh, and that, that's what happens. And so um, when there is the increased dopamine levels, then it, the nerve pathways get strengthened for that specific stimulus and the response that occurs. Um, and then these overcharged pathways uh, result in an increased craving. It's always saying, that was great. I, I want that again. Keep that coming. And then also a tolerance that can build up um, so that whatever was the last time need even more this time to have that happen. And so um, that's, the, that's the whole path that, that happens within the brain. And so therefore breaking the habitual behaviors becomes more than just a will. Um, it's got this uh, change that's happening. And so um, this whole process is what could be argued as addiction and uh, whether it's a substance or a behavior. Uh, and then they determine the addiction, the severity of it, by the um, subsequent reactions that occur in somebody's life, the effects that it has. Um, so back to, you know, how does this align with how a substance is classified? Right now, there is current criteria for a, if somebody had a substance abuse disorder, there's 11 criteria, and they take however many match, and that determines the severity somebody has. Um, so you can ask yourself, I'm going to read through the list here of uh, the 11 criteria of, of substance abuse. You can ask yourself, could you put pornography or sex-addicted behaviors um, in place of, of the word substance? So... Um, First one, taking the substance in larger amounts or for longer than you're meant to. Uh, wanting to cut down or stop using the substance but not managing to. Spending a lot of time getting, using, or recovering from use of the substance. Cravings and urges to use the substance. Not managing to do what you should at work, home, or school because of substance use. Continuing to use even when it causes problems in relationships giving up important social, occupational, or recreational activities because of substance use, using substances again and again even when it puts you in danger, continuing to use even when you know you have a physical or psychological problem that could, be caught, could have been caused or made worse by the substance, needing to, 
needing more of the substance to get the effect you want. That's the tolerance piece. And then lastly, development of withdrawal symptoms, which can only be relieved by taking more of it. Yeah, that's intense. We realized during the first service that I could check like three of those boxes with coffee. And I said, uh-oh. And Charlie told me that caffeine, caffeine addiction is in is, there. Yeah, 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 There's yeah, caffeine yeah, addiction. That's next week. All right, but uh, we... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's staggering, really, to, to look at the science behind this. I, I think it's so cool that, essentially, all these psychologists and sociologists, uh, doctors, are looking at, okay, well, what, what is, like, essentially the... What makes this a self-destructive, like, addiction... Um, and it, what's so interesting to me is even as we were talking about this and you were talking to me about the, 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 how the pathway gets like larger and need, you need more, right? Your tolerance increases and um, you want more of it. Like it, what kept coming to my mind was scripture. Uh, and, and essentially, like I realized even as we were talking about like this modern, like this is the modern classification. These are things that kind of we're landing on and suddenly science is sort of saying like, yeah, there's these behaviors that are addictive even though it's not a substance. I realized, I was like, man, this is what God has told us for thousands of years. It, it brought to my mind this passage from Ecclesiastes, uh, which uh, Ecclesiastes is written about. It's just wisdom, right? It's, it's wisdom about life, and it's, a lot of it focuses on the futility of trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment here because the world is like a vapor, it says, or like trying to find satisfaction here. It's like trying to grab the wind, things like that. It's very dismal. And uh, one of the key passages to set up the book, uh, just it, it was resonating through my mind as we were talking about these effects, this desire for more and more. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 1, it says that all the streams flow into the sea, but the sea is not full. And to the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. Right? So the streams keep flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing, and yet this, the sea never fills up. The verse right before this talks about how, yeah, the sun rises, and then it sets, and then it hurries back around to where it rises again. Right? It just keeps going and going and going and going. And all this monotony is tiresome, and no one can bear to describe it. And the eye is never satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear ever content with hearing. And I think it's this wonderful encapsulation that God has given us thousands of years ago, this wisdom that, man, yeah, if you're trying to seek after fulfillment and satisfaction in this world, man, ultimately, that is an impossible goal, right? This is lining up with these physiological effects uh, of, of different addictive behaviors, which you're saying, you know, is including pornography. And, and I think, you know, based on just my ministry experience, I, I've seen how you know, the, the way this plays out, I'm sure you've seen the same thing in your counseling office where, uh, you know, what's tragic is that these self-destructive behaviors, um, they don't just stay self-destructive. Like, these personal sins never stay personal. That's just, that's just what I've seen. Where there are always ripple effects. There are always repercussions and it just spills out into the, into the rest of our lives and the lives of people around us. Whether they know what the cause of these effects is or not, right? Maybe it's still a secretive sin, but it's never actually personal because there's negative effects. I mean, they just, they spill out. And so I would love for you to kind of speak into the, the way that we, again, we're encapsulating this was trying to think of it as, you know, so it's not just our minds, but it's also, it's our emotion, it's our relationships. And so I would love for you, Charlie, just to explain a little bit, you know, from a psychological standpoint, like what are the emotional and social effects uh, that seem to be connected to pornography addiction? Yeah. Um, so like you said, there's kind of the individual, the user, uh, the person who's, who's doing it. There's also the effects that happen to the, the people in the relationships. Uh, so for the individual, almost hand-in-hand hand, uh, with pornography is loneliness. That's it's a, a huge thing that keeps coming up. Um, uh, and it's due to it's a very private and secretive nature of this type of uh, addiction. If you think about, you know, usually drug use, parties, that kind of stuff, that's more of a social thing. This is more uh, of secretive. And so that's a big component as well as it's a false human connection, uh, believing that it is what uh, it is, the human connection that you need. Uh, research is now showing that the increased reliance on porn 
um, actually tends to lead to withdrawing emotionally from real people. Uh, and so when you have less of those connections occurring, um, you're not experiencing that outwardly as well as you're not receiving love and acceptance experienced in return. Um, so that's where that loneliness piece comes in. Uh, another one is sexual dissatisfaction um, because of the... Uh, um, the increased use of the porn, uh, pornography, it often leads to less desire for the real thing, sex, uh, less satisfying sex, and, and even um, a lot of times uh, it can be no sex because of a strong association with sexual dysfunctions that occur. Uh, and then the last one, and, and one of the probably the, the biggest thing, is other mental health issues. So uh, it's referred to as dual diagnosis or comor- comorbid whenever you have multiple things happening at, at a time. Substance abuse uh, related addictions are always always with other things um, that that occur. So we'll, you know we see that with pornography as well. So you've got depression, anxiety, poor self esteem, self worth, um, PTSD, personality disorders. Uh, a lot of those things go hand in hand. Um, and then from a relational perspective, uh, the the first thing is decreased sexual intimacy between the two people in the relationship. Uh, it can skew a healthy sexual response from a partner to the user only experience, experiencing arousal from porn specifically. Um, so when you have that less desire for one's partner um, compared to the countless limitless experiences you can get through pornography, um, that intimacy goes down. Uh, and then and then it's also, like you said, not just self-harming for the user, the person in the relationships uh, experience uh, a lot of things as well. They can be affected by negative emotions themselves, so whether it's rejection, abandonment, isolation, uh, they, their own sexual experiences get skewed. They don't know what they can expect from their partner, and, and, and that changes uh, their uh, desires there. And, and then there's a, often an increased risk of adultery for uh, the users, so that partner always has that uh, dynamic within their relationship. So, yeah. I mean, that's brutal. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that's so significant, and I think it's something that I didn't think a lot about you know, earlier in life, probably until I really stepped into ministry and started working with people, I mean, similar to you, I mean, not to the level that you've worked with them in counseling, but um, of just seeing how, uh, yeah, like, other relationships just, like, start to break down with any addiction, right, with any addiction, any addictive behavior, um, but especially with this this intensely isolating addiction with pornography, I I, I think it's, it's tragic, um, and you can speak into this, like, just seeing, um, I feel like I've seen a lot of people buy into a lie. That, like, mm-hmm. hey, if I just kind of reach a point, if I, like, get a certain relationship or I get into a certain, you know, I get married or I have, you know, just the right person or whatever it might be. Like, if I have just the right outlet mm-hmm. um, for these, some of these desires, like, well, this other, you know, this other distortion is going to go away. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to need this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um have you like have you seen that like be is that just me or like yeah. I, like I'm assuming, have you seen that like what do you tell people that maybe are kind of yeah. buying into that delusion well, it, yeah because when when you don't consider it from a disorder and you think of it just as the behavior only then it's you know behaviors can change and so um, this may be something I struggle with now but down the road. Yeah, like you said, an outlet. I, I'm in the situation where God has designed it won't be a problem. But when we consider it from the the perspective of addiction, and we you know see the changes, you can look at brain scans from uh, before and after addictions occur, and the brain is different. And so when you think about the engaging in that behavior even early on, though, when you get to that point where you are provided with that, it can be very difficult to get out of that um, uh, situation, even though the external situations changed. Yeah. So rather than just getting it out of your system, you're really building a muscle. Like you're not, it's not like you're just getting rid of this thing right now, but it's, you're actually building this muscle that's going to be really strong even in that later stage. I remember reading that in some of the research you pointed me at with like how the, the decision-making, the, was it the frontal lobe, like this decision-making f- part of the brain, like with some of these addictive behaviors or substances, like it literally shrinks. Like it mm-hmm. literally is smaller and less powerful. Uh, so it's not, it doesn't just go away. Yeah, uh, yeah I think that's, that's kind of terrifying. Um, and again, this is, this is what we see in Scripture. Uh, this is what God told us in his wisdom in Proverbs chapter 6. 
book of Proverbs is this wisdom that's kind of through the lens of a father speaking to his son, and a lot of it is about sex, because uh, that's where a lot of sons need wisdom. And so uh, the father tells him, he says, hey, look, he says, don't fool yourself. A man who commits adultery with a woman lacks wisdom. Why? Because whoever does it destroys his own life. Right? It's a self-destructive behavior. He's saying, look, if you're looking for sexual satisfaction outside of the spouse that you have, outside of this, this person in a committed covenant of marriage, he says, you mean you're destroying yourself. It's ultimately a self-destructive behavior. And, and man, that's what pornography is, right? It's, it's this seeking sexual satisfaction outside of God's directed design. And so it shouldn't be a surprise for us to see like, oh yeah, this is like completely self-destructive. This is messing up my, my mental state, my emotional state, my relationships. I mean, the, the emotional and sociological effects of pornography addiction, they're, they're just lining up with scripture, right? Like it's science is catching up to what scripture has told us that, that God has been clear about from the beginning. Um, you know, what I think is beautiful uh, is that God's word doesn't just tell us that we all struggle with self-destructive behaviors, right? God's word also tells us that in the midst of those destructive behaviors, while we were still sinners, that Jesus Christ died for us, right? That even when we were in the midst of, in the middle of our trespasses, even when we were children of wrath, Jesus Christ came and died. He lived the life that we could not live, right? He died the death that we deserved so that we can be raised to new life with him, so that we can be redeemed, so that we can have hope. So that we can be new creations. So that we can suddenly see, man, there's a a way out. There's a better identity. We talked about this last week, that I can be a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. And that's, that changes everything. Right? So, you know, I, we, we cannot end this morning without spending some time talking about this incredible hope that we have in Christ. And, 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 not just in Christ, but what's so beautiful is that God loves us, you know, he loves us too much to leave us on the self-chosen path of sin and death. He loves us too much to do that. And so he sent Jesus Christ as our, our ultimate answer. And then along the way, we also have tools, right, that he's equipped us with. He's given us reason and, and wisdom, and we, we, can, we can think logically, and we can uh, discover and create treatments and medicines and things like this. And so uh, I, I would love for you, for, you know, where we kind of land, Charlie, I would love for you to talk about, you know, as a professional, you know, as a licensed counselor, I mean, what does that path to redemption, recovery, healing, you know, whatever you want to call it, what does that look like practically for someone who's like struggling with pornography or maybe someone who's uh, on the other side or who's in a relationship with someone struggling with uh, pornography addiction? Right. So you don't want to just end on the doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah, well, not this time. Um, Next week. So, so the first thing, the first thing to mention is that um, yes, pornography use has historically been associated with men as the consumers and, and women as the as the partners, and that is a, a heavy uh, uh, majority of the case. Um, but, however, research has shown a rise in, in women use as well. So, just getting to also be not so much of a concrete gender line of of who's in what role. Um, but with that being said, kind of just to address both the one, the one struggling and, and then on the partner as well. So for the person struggling, it, it, it's probably not this morning a shock to hear that pornography exposure is becoming increasingly common with technology and all the means and, and the way everything's going. Um, uh, that's, that's not a shock. And so for the person that thinks that they may need to change and correct the path that they're on, it's important to focus that because it is a common thing that there are people and resources to get help from. Um, uh, and so that you're not alone in, in seeking out help. Um, often recovery is even dependent on having other people around you uh, as your support system. So um, especially with this, that's so secretive and, and isolating. So it just takes that person having that courage and motivation to allow yourself to be open and vulnerable and, and, and honest and, and seek out that help. Um, and then for the person that's the partner of someone struggling, I think uh, it's just really important to focus on uh, realistic expectations um, because if you don't have that, you're setting yourself up for for disappointment. Um, on one hand, if somebody, if you're, if a significant other is engaged in um, this behavior, 
It's not something just to ignore and say, well, that's just what happens nowadays. It's the world we live in, that kind of thing, um, because that's going to lead you to a path of disappointment. Uh, on the other hand, if the expectation from the partner is somebody to never struggle with it, complete perfection around the issue, um, then you know we have to remember we're all fallen and, and, and all um, sin. And, and so having that too high of an expectation can also lead you to being disappointed. So, um, But from my perspective of what I've seen when counseling, uh, to, to me it's about the person's attitude and their heart uh, on the matter. Are they truly wanting to get help uh, and experience change? Because if so, let's focus on that path rather than just the destination there. Uh, if, I, if I had somebody coming in and every week they're saying, did great, did great, did great, and then one week they say, I didn't do great this time, I'm not going to be able to say, well, I guess just stop coming to counseling, we're done, um, because you know you ha- had the problem. So, um, so instead, what we want to look at is what were the triggers, what are the things that happened, um, how do we put in some other things to make it more likely that you'll be able to succeed, and then move forward. So... Um, so if I'm to you know, give an analogy of what success looks to me, it's a, it's a line graph of, you know, we want to see that trajectory headed upwards, that they're, that they're making progress, um, because, yeah, it's going to have some dips and, and falls, and there are going to be some struggles, but if over time, you know, we're up here versus down here, that that's what shows me that there's a true desire to fight it, and I think that matches with, you know, God looking at our heart as well. Uh, that's, I mean, that's super helpful. Um, right, so it's that, that willingness to... The desire for the next step, right? The, I mean, you want to be at the destination for sure, but but in the meantime, like the way we get there is that one kind of step at a time, and I think that's great. It, that's so helpful, even because I, I feel like more and more I'm I'm talking with people, yeah, on that other side of the relationship, who are, have suddenly discovered, you know, they they get to this point, they're about to take merge, and so they talk about everything, or they're in merge or whatever. How many are you? Some of you guys in merge right now? Don't raise your hands. Never mind. Uh, but uh, <laughs> might be weird. Uh, but you know, we we reach these points where we're like, oh snap, this other person makes mistakes or is a sinner. Who knew, right? Like, and suddenly, uh, and I think what's so significant about this, especially this sort of sexual addiction, uh, is that it, it's it's way more personal, right? Like, it, like for the partner, it, it, it's way more personal and, and it hurts a lot deeper. It cuts a lot deeper than just like you don't pick up your socks and to like, oh snap, like this is harder to deal with. And I think, you know, the, the fact, the way that you're putting that, I think is just so great of like how, you know, it's, it's, you don't, you can't expect someone to have already reached perfection, but at the same time, it's, you shouldn't expect them just to sit off on the side of the road in the muck and the mire. Instead, what you want to see, what you're looking for in a healthy relationship is for that person, that partner that you want to be with to be at least on the path willing to take their next step, right, with their heart attitude in the right place. I think that's, I think that's super powerful. Um, and so let's say the desire's there, okay? Uh, let's say that the willingness is there, that they want, they want to seek the change. So what, what are, like, practically, what, what are those steps? Like, what are those action steps that you would recommend, right? As a professional counselor, you've seen this play out a number of times. Give us kind of your rundown of what you would give, you know, someone sitting in your office. Yeah. So we talked about how the brain has the plasticity. That that actually can be a blessing and a curse. So uh, on one hand, it's what takes hold uh, or gives addiction the ability to take hold, but it's also a catalyst for recovery because somebody does get on that path and they do start experiencing successes, um, it actually can mold that brain back to where those really strengthened nerve pathways for that stimulus start getting weaker, and so it gets easier to withstand. Uh, and so that that's a, a good um, hope in, in the situation. So uh, as far as the steps to take, I think the two biggest things um, are uh, restriction and accountability. Um, and so the more that temptations and triggers are apparent, uh, then or the more you can limit those, the less opportunity there is for setbacks. And, and so in today's culture with technology, uh, where it is, there, there's nothing as far as restrictions is going to be 100%. Uh, there's no way to completely um, just limit that com- all the way. So, But every bit helps. And so a, a good... Uh, best first example is just installing you know software on computers, smartphones, that kind of thing um, that will block the content. Um, 
but when the 100%, it, it, because it's not 100%, when the restrictions fail, that's where accountability comes into place. And so um, having somebody that's uh, either uh, walking the same path and that you guys can hold each other, uh, two people can hold each other accountable, if it's trusted people around, or if it's a support group setting, um, or in a counseling setting as well with a counselor who can monitor and, and keep track of stuff. Uh, and in certain situations could even be a significant other. Uh, just don't want it to be in a, a way that could cause them harm, like we talked about the negative effects. Um, but uh, just someone that checks in, holds you accountable uh, in a truly supportive way. That, that way it promotes the openness and desire to deal with it. Um, that's one of the most powerful advantages in it. Um, and then probably don't need to tell a college town, but getting educated is, is a big piece of it. Um, just like we're talking about all this stuff going on today, knowing what's going on. Uh, the inner workings of things. Um, we haven't even really scratched the surface on social and cultural stuff that's going on as well. Um, so just getting that understanding. There's a great site called, uh, if you're interested in looking up more, called fightthenewdrug.com. Uh, and so drug, you know, they, they're on the same thing of this becoming a drug as well of pornography. Um, but it's completely a uh, really great uh, scholarly journal, scientific research, um, not affiliated uh, – with a religious organization at all. And so that's where you can get a lot of good, uh, information as well. Um, and then, um, the, the next thing I'd say is that I, I'm pretty more passionate about is, is I think that psychology and theology are, are hand in hand. There's, there's strengths that you can get from both, um, that, that they have to offer, and so it's about you know pulling from both those. So with psychology, the the strength, um, or, or I, I guess I should say the first thing is if somebody came in and they are saying I'm you know I'm dealing with this disorder, um, I, I wouldn't tell them. Well, I think you just need to pray about it more um, because it's not going to be helpful um, for them. God's given us lots of tools uh, from a counseling perspective that can that can help. Um, so. Things like if, if somebody was seeking out counseling um, that they might be able to, to do is, is, is identify underlying negative emotions or root problems. Um, just with substance-related addictions, uh, it's often tied, pornography and sex addictions are often tied with deeper issues. Um, so if someone's facing loneliness, despair, stress, hurt, anger, anything, um, they can use that. Uh, substance to or the behavior to self-medicate to provide that temporary high that that getting away from reality uh as a distraction um to avoid things really going on um but as we've talked about all the negative side effects that happen um usually things come crashing down and that's only temporary so uh in counseling being able to address what's going on um you can make sure that those don't continue to be core issues that keep coming up that cause um, a trigger to seek relief from. Um, counseling can also help with developing a treatment plan um, to look at your whole uh, person, you know, everything that you have going on, uh, offer tools that can uh, help with things and, and putting it all together and, and, again, the accountability to make sure, you know, staying on track and, and, and um, the progress there. And, and then since we're talking about addictions, um, you want to be able to, to break the addiction cycle um, because you see often that when life stress, stressors happen, um, somebody uh, has things happening that they need to get away from, then they act out in that undesired way. And using that substance or behavior is only going to provide that temporary relief. So as soon as that wears off, they have those negative emotions, the loneliness, the guilt, or you know whatever's going on um, that gives them more of a... Um, uh, poor uh, emotional affect, and then whenever the new stressors come back around, then they're already in a bad state, then the same thing just keeps happening. And, and so when you have that, you uh, in a counseling setting, you can look at that cycle and say, here are specific interventions that are accessible to you. Here's where you can put those in and, and focus on if that cycle's going on, you know, try to um, um, intervene at that place. Yeah, which I want to just say real quick, uh, if you're a student at Texas A&M University, I, maybe at Blend, I'm not sure about Blend, 
But I do know for sure with A&M, you're already paying for counseling. You're paying for professional counseling through your student fees. Uh, you, can, uh, you can go through the student counseling services through the TAMU website, uh, and you can set up appointments with a licensed counselor. Maybe you just go one time. But, man, if this is something that, as Charlie is describing this, and you're like, yeah, maybe that would be good. Like, maybe that would be helpful. That would, you, can, you don't have to worry about paying for it at all because you already are. Congratulations. <laughs> your tax dollars, not tax dollars, your tuition. <laughs> tuition dollars at work. Take advantage of it. Yeah. And then, um, so then on the other hand, you know, I'm not going to tell somebody they just need to pray about it more, but on the other hand, I've seen somebody from a psychological perspective doing what they need to and, and just still be stuck and not being able to overcome what's going on. Um, and so I think from a, you can, gain the strengths from theology of one knowing that scripture tells us God's the ultimate healer. Um, he's the source of how our whole being works, mind, body, and spirit. Uh, and then when we have a relationship with God, um, surprisingly guilt can actually be a, a, a not so bad thing as long as it doesn't turn into shame because that's a different situation. But um, when we have, when somebody has engaged in a sexual activity outside of what God's designed, that guilt triggers that conviction. And having a healthy conviction from God is one of those things where in the uh, addiction cycle, you can intervene and say, you know, at the point of actually, you know, after engaging that, what things can be put in place to where if this goes back around and comes back to it, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, and then, um, I, and then the last thing is just, I, I've had clients that have come in, you know, month after month and, and no change and, and they're still, you know, doing what they need to, but nothing's happened. And then one time they come in and it's like a, uh, switch flipped that they, they had God do something in their lives that just, uh, opened their eyes and, you know, they began to understand Jesus more personal way and they found healing that, in, in a way, I can only attribute to power of God. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I love that you laid it out in that way, right? So, so we have tools. Uh, we have the great healer on, on our, you know, he's advocating for us. He wants what's best for us. Um, and, and, you know, we should lean into both, right? We should lean into both resources, into both areas of support. The first being, right, people, right? This is what we read at the beginning of of worship or at the end of worship before the the talk of that it's better to have open rebuke than hidden love the faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are excessive right this is wisdom from the lord from thousands of years ago where he's essentially saying the same thing he's saying look it is better to have someone confront you in love right someone who legitimately cares for you open rebuke it's better than to just kind of hang back. That hidden love is, is kind of this, literally in the Hebrew, it's this kind of non-confrontation. It's this kind of secretive, like, oh, hey, I love you, but you, yeah, just keep running that way, I guess. Like, okay. Like, it, it's, it's that unwillingness to step in and bring healing and, and maybe hard truth that's it's not loving, ultimately, right? That, that we can trust, we can put our faith in the wounds caused by a genuine friend. That those are good things. Those are good wounds. That's that's cleaning, that's, that's healing us ultimately in the long run. And so I know for some of us today, we need to step out of here and we need to have a hard conversation. We need to, this afternoon or this evening, we need to sit down with a friend or family member, roommate, someone, and, and we need to talk about something that's going on in our lives. Uh, or, or maybe we need to ask them about something we've been seeing play out in theirs. And we can do that knowing, man, God has called us to this path, right? That God has given us this, this mission to love people well, not in a secretive way, but instead in a, in a healthy way, in, a, in an upfront way, in a way that really seeks the best for, for, our, for the people around us, right? There's strength in community. And so we need to find that person who we can turn on all, we can turn on all the lights, right? We can, we can break that cycle, like Charlie was saying. We can root out sin. I mean, that's, that's what we need. And if you have questions, you feel like you don't have that person, that person can't come to your mind, uh, man, talk with us. We would love to plug you into a community of people here at Grace who can be that for you, who can be that support. Uh, because ultimately, uh, we're in the business of reconciliation. Right? This is uh, what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Right? The old has passed and the, the new has come. It's this beautiful message of hope that we're going to come back to next week and then even the last week. Uh, but it's this idea that, 
man, we have this chance for redemption of being made new in Christ. And it's not just something for us to experience because all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is what I love about our calling as believers, that we're not just experiencing a restored relationship with God, right? That's what reconciliation is. It's restoring a relationship. God says, I don't want to just restore our relationship between you and me. He says, I now want to give you the mission. You now have a purpose and a goal of being an agent, of being a minister of reconciliation for the rest of the world. That we can walk out into a world that's hurting, that's maybe struggling with addictions like pornography, and we don't walk out there with our condemnation hammer, just pop, 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 just like slamming people and pointing them at the science and pointing them at the research, pointing them at scripture and be like, how could you? And just bam, bam, bam. That's not our role. God doesn't say send us out as judges into this world, as condemners into this world, as executioners. He says, I've sent you out as ministers of reconciliation. So I want you to be a people who walk in out into this world and they see that you see the hurt, you see the pain, you see the struggle, you see the addiction, you see it in your life and you see it in the lives of others. And you step in with love and you do everything you can to restore your relationship with that other person who's isolating themselves because of an addictive behavior. You do everything you can to point those people to the God who loves them, who wants to restore his relationship with them by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so my hope is that we enter into this next time of worship. We're about to sing one more song and, and close out our service, but I mean, my hope is that we are going to sing to the Lord a song of hope for ourselves and for, for our friends, that we would walk out of, this, out of these doors as people who are prepared, again, not to just walk around and just throw people's sin in their face, but instead as people who are able to step in to reconcile, to restore our relationship with them and to point them to Jesus Christ who reconciles us to the Father. So I'm going to pray. If you would join me, and let's ask the Lord to, to, to guide us in this path. Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us, got a chance to know you and to make you known. Lord, we, we confess that we have struggles in this area, that God, it is, it is difficult for us to, to keep our eyes set on you, Lord, to, to really remember uh, the, the calling you've placed in front of us, Lord, the hope that you've given us. Lord, we get distracted or, Lord, we get confused. And Lord, we just ask that today would be different, that, Lord, before we just go into full Super Bowl mode, uh, that, Lord, we would really take some time to, to reflect uh, to really grab a hold of maybe some conviction that you're bringing up in our hearts right now. And that, God, we would act on it. That we would maybe break a cycle that's in our life right now or, or help a friend break a cycle that's just destroying theirs. So if you would ask the Lord right now just to, to bring to your mind, to convict you of where is it that you are essentially running away from his reconciling arms? Where are you just sort of rejecting his call to you, to his, his wisdom that he's given you. Ask him, say, God, show me. Where, where am I just kind of falling into my own desires? And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's an addictive behavior or a substance. And just ask the Lord, say, God, show me. Where, where is it that I'm kind of relying on other things for satisfaction and fulfillment other than you? And then ask the Lord one other simple question. Say, God, who can I talk to about this? God, raise that person into my mind of who I can talk to about the change that, that should happen in my life. What about the change that I desire for theirs? So just as we enter into worship, ask the Lord those two simple questions. God, where does change need to take place? And God, who needs to hear about it? Ask him that right now.